Hi, this is Bill Woods again up here in sunny Arizona. It's uh, kind of a blustery day. Wind's blowing, temperature's getting lower, and I understood that we were supposed to be having snow and uh, rain the next three days, but there doesn't seem to be any of that, just a lot of wind today. But I decided that it was time for me to come and talk to you again, and uh, I just want to ask you the question today, how's your back? In Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life. That same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Yet if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. You know, when I pastored in Pullman, Washington, I had a Washington State University student attending my church who refused to go out soul winning. We were going to go out a couple times and, and do some canvassing and try to win some souls. And he said, absolutely not. He, he would not even just call a friend to invite them to come to church. He said he'd gone out once and been rejected and wouldn't put himself through that again. You know, Jesus never promised people would welcome his message, but he did tell us to give it to them. And we aren't responsible for if they listen or not, but we are responsible to warn them as best we can so they know the consequences of their, their sins. Listen again, when I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at your hand. Yet if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Listen, I, I don't ever want to stand with somebody's blood on my hands, stand before God and try to give an accounting of why I was just too busy or not interested in trying to help them. I've heard people say, well, I don't want to witness because I'm afraid that my friends will reject me and maybe even turn against me, maybe even persecute me. In fact, Jesus did promise we'd be persecuted. John 15, 18 through 20 says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. You know, that hardly seems like an enticing sales pitch to offer people to accept Christ. And yet the eternal benefits are outstanding, are out of this world, you might say. And the alternative is terrifying. If they die and go to hell for all eternity, with that means no ending. On and on and on in the agonies of hell, uh, you, you want to warn them. Now, I've had people say, well, you know, a good God wouldn't send you to hell. And that's right. 
but he does give you the choice to get rid of your sin problem and accept him as your savior and allow you to go to heaven. And if you decide not to do that, he has not sent you to hell. You made that choice. Again, Jesus said uh, about the persecution, Bless are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. A preacher pastored a church in a little village along the Mexican border. In one of his sermons, he told about Simon of Cyrene being forced to carry Christ's cross. And he asked his congregation or his audience there what their reaction would have been if they'd been there. A nine-year-old Mexican boy walked up the aisle with a determination in his eyes. The preacher stopped speaking and the congregation grew quiet. Everyone knew this boy. His dad was a miner. His mother was an outcast. He said to the preacher, You asked what I'd have done if I'd seen the crowd when Jesus fell under the weight of his cross. Sir, I'd have helped him carry it. The minister answered, Yes, and if you'd helped him carry his cross, the Roman soldiers would have beaten you across your back with their whips until the blood ran down to your ankles. He never flinched. Meeting the preacher's look, he gritted through clenched teeth. I don't care. I would have helped him carry it just the same. Two weeks later, at the close of the service, the old preacher stood at the door, greeting people as they left. When little Pedro came by, that was that little boy, when he came by, he patted him on the back, and Pedro pulled away with a little groan. Please don't do that. My back is sore. The preacher was astonished. He'd barely touched the boy's shoulder. He took him to a room and removed his shirt. Crisscrossed from his neck to his waist were ugly, bloody welts. Who did that? The preacher said angrily. My mother did. She whipped me because I came to church. Jesus said in Luke fourteen twenty seven, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You know, we're told that we must bear a cross in order to be a true disciple of Christ. The, the, uh, there, in, when I was pastoring in Seattle Ballard Church, the Nazarene, there was this geek, I, I guess I should probably call him a geek, but I thought he was. Anyhow, he came to church a couple different times, and he carried and dragged a big cross that he had drug all across Seattle and actually drug across the country trying to show, you know, his dedication to God. Well, you know, that's not really the kind of cross that Jesus Christ meant. There are many forms of crosses in our lives. We all struggle from time to time with heavy loads, some heavier than others. Paul did his share of bearing crosses. In 2 Corinthians 4, 8, and 9, he said, We are troubled on every side and yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed. See, Paul was amazing. He was hit by more problems than most people see in a lifetime. If anyone had a right to say he had a bad, uh, bad back, it was Paul. He was thrown into prison. 
received 39 lashes on five different occasions, beat with rods, stoned, and left for dead and shipwrecked. Paul wasn't invincible, but he knew a secret. He knew where his strength came from. 2 Samuel 22:33 says, God is my strength and my power, and he makes my way perfect. Psalm 73:26, my flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. See, the difference between the Apostle Paul and most Christians today is that Paul was ready to bear whatever cross came his way, no matter how heavy or burdensome it might be. He knew God would be with him every step of the way. When we face problems, we can find comfort and encouragement in Scripture promises like Deuteronomy 31.6, Be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, he it is that does go with thee. He will not uh, fail thee nor forsake thee. You know, Jesus never promised it'd be easy when we give our lives to him. We're promised a cross. Our cross might not be the same as little Pedro's was, but it can be just as hard to bear. Once we recognize what we're struggling with, we must meet it head on. We have to be convinced that God will see us through to the very end. How's your back? Is it scarred and bent over with a cross that you've been dragging? The young man was at the end of his rope. Seeing no way out, he dropped to his knees in prayer. Lord, I can't go on, he said. I have too heavy a cross to bear. The Lord replied, My son, if you can't bear its weight, just place your cross inside this room, then open that other door and pick out the cross you want. The man was filled with relief. Thank you, Lord, he sighed. And he did as he was told. As he entered the other door, he saw many crosses, some so large the tops weren't visible. Then he spotted a tiny cross leaning against a far wall. I like that one, Lord, he whispered. And the Lord replied, My son, that's the cross you just brought in. You know, when life's problems seem overwhelming, it, it helps to look around and see what other people are coping with. You may consider yourself Mar, far more fortunate than you imagined if you realize that other people are going through hard times too. Maybe you've just given up, just left your cross lying in the sand. Well, it's time to grit your teeth and ask God for strength and get a firm hold on that cross again and begin to follow him with your cross. The trail to heaven can be long and, and a hard struggle, and many people won't make it. In fact, Jesus said the gates were narrow and the, uh, the path was narrow and that, that few would be that entered therein. Those who do reach heaven will do it under the weight of a cross. When it seems like you can't go on and you just want to give up, remember what Second Corinthians chapter 12, 9, and 10 says. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 
You know, we're surrounded by a world of lost sinners that are on their way to hell. And if we don't reach them for Christ, who's going to do it? The Times reporter of a new Philadelphia, Ohio, reported in September 1985 on a celebration at a New Orleans municipal pool. The party around the pool was held to celebrate the first summer in memory without a drowning at any New Orleans city pools. In honor of the occasion, 200 people gathered, including 100 certified lifeguards. As the party was breaking up and the four lifeguards on duty began to clear the pool, they found a fully dressed body in the deep end. They tried to revive Jerome Moody, 31 years old, but it was too late. He drowned, surrounded by lifeguards, celebrating their successful season. I wonder how many friends, neighbors, and strangers around us are drowning in loneliness, hurt, doubt, when we could help, but we don't realize their need. Christians have reasons to celebrate. But our mission is to rescue the perishing, and so often they're right next to us. Roger Storms, pastor of First Christian Church in Chandler, Arizona, said, One Sunday a car had broken down in the alley behind our church. The driver had jacked it up and crawled underneath to work on it. Suddenly we heard him scream. The jack had slipped and the car had fallen on him. Someone shouted, call 911. A couple people ran for the phone. Several men gathered around the car and strained to lift it off the trap man. Nurses from our congregation were rounded up and brought to the scene. Somehow the men eased the car's weight off the man and he was pulled free. The nurses checked him over. He was scratched and shaken, but otherwise okay. When this man was in peril, people did all they could to help, risking themselves, inconveniencing themselves. They were ready to try whatever was necessary to save him. You know, we need that attitude when it comes to rescuing those in greatest peril, losing their lives and their souls eternally. Some of them are waiting for you to show them the way. In 1967, Charles Murray was a student at the University of Cincinnati, and he was training as a high diver for the Summer Olympics of 1968. He had a Christian friend who was concerned about his soul, wanted him to accept Jesus Christ as his Savior. Charles was very patient with his friend as he'd speak to him for hours about Jesus and how he needed to confess his sins and be saved. Charles wasn't raised in any kind of church, so all that his friends said to him was fascinating to him. He began to ask questions about the forgiveness of sin. Finally, the day came when his friend asked him if he realized his need of a Redeemer and if he was ready to accept Christ as his Savior. Charles' reply was no. For days, Charles avoided this friend until one night, this friend got a phone call from Charles. He wanted to know where to look in the New Testament for some verses about salvation. His Christian friend gave him the references to several passages and asked if he could meet with him. Charles declined the offer and thanked him for the scripture. He was obviously greatly troubled, but his friend didn't know where he was or how to help him.
Because he was training for the Olympic Games, Charles had the spatial privilege at the university pool facilities. Sometime between 10.30 and 11 o'clock that evening, he decided to go swim and practice a few dives. It was a clear night in October, and the moon was big and bright. The university pool was housed in a building under a ceiling of glass panes so that the moon shone brightly across the top of the wall in the pool areas. Charles climbed to the highest platform to make his first dive. At that moment, the Holy Spirit began to convict him of his sins. All the scriptures he read and all of his friends' words to him about Christ flooded his mind. He stood on the platform backwards, ready to make his dive. He spread his arms to get his balance. He looked up to the wall and saw his own shadow and caused by the light of the moon. His shadow was shaped like a cross. He couldn't handle the burden of sin any longer. His heart broke and he sat down on the platform and asked God to forgive him and save him. He trusted Jesus Christ 20-some feet in the air. Suddenly, the lights in the pool area came on. The attendant had come to check the pool. Charles looked down from his platform and saw an empty pool which had been drained for repairs. He had almost plummeted to his death, but the cross had stopped him from disaster. As you consider the outcome of this story, I want to ask you, how many of your friends or your co-workers, maybe your family members are on that diving board this very minute? Turn on the light for them. Share the cross. Invite them to accept Jesus Christ's love. Maybe you need Jesus Christ in your life. Call on him and ask him to forgive you of your sins and save you now. Ask him to put your name in his book of life so that one day you can reign with him throughout all eternity in heaven. You don't want to go to hell. Allow the Lord to work through you. Will you make yourself available to him? Either to accept him as your personal Savior, or if you know him as your Savior, to tell others who don't know him as their Savior so that they too might become children of the King, joint heirs with Jesus Christ, and have a home in heaven for all eternity. Let's pray. Father, today I just pray that you use this message for your purpose of telling people how much you love them, how Jesus Christ was willing to step into our human history and take on the sins of men and die in our place because the wages of sin is death and we would have had to pay it ourselves, but he substituted for us so that if we call upon him, we can be saved. And I pray today, Lord, there'll be somebody that will call upon you to accept you as their personal Savior. They will confess their sins. They will forsake their sins and begin to live a life that would please you and a life that will fulfill them, not only here on earth, but in heaven for all eternity. Lord, I just pray that if there's people that know you as their personal Savior, but have not been telling others about you, have not been witnessing and saying what wonderful thought it is to accept Christ as their Savior, I pray that you begin to burden these people that they might go out and win souls for you too. Father, we realize that time is growing short. 
prophecies are being fulfilled daily that say you're going to come back for your church soon. Help us, God, to be ready. And if some of us don't live till the rapture, but we die and face you before then, help us to be ready as we stand before you to be able to witness that we've accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior and are part of the family of God so that you'll let us into your heaven. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to contact me, remember my email address is lowercase r-e-v-w-m-w-w-o-o-d-s at gmail.com. And my mailing address is William Woods, Box 4031, Sun Valley, Arizona, 86029. God bless you, and I hope that you accept Christ as your Savior and that you have a very blessed life.